0: Coming up, the NBA playoffs are taking into shape as I have some intriguing storylines and preview the opening round, which begins on Saturday. Clayton Kershaw pulled after 80 pitches and seven perfect innings. What? Why? Derek Carr is the latest QB to get an extension, but it's the no trade clause that has me puzzled. And Baker Mayfield disrespected. Quite a bit to get into as we usher in the holiday weekend. It's all on deck. But first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe rate and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast. So please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So, with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in five, four, three, two, one. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J-Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Worlds Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic and excellent spirits in a beautiful 80-degree day is expected here in the Northeast as it is a holy Thursday, obviously the day before Good Friday and leading us right into the Easter weekend, but leading you to the latest podcast which delivers everything that's happening in the world of sports as this is the J Reels podcast with your host J Reels for my first timers welcome aboard and for those who have been banging with me whether from the very beginning somewhere in the middle or just recently I welcome you guys and gals back lots to get into here front and center to tip the ball off the NBA playoffs are on the horizon We already have our seven seeds locked in, to no surprise, the Brooklyn Nets and the Minnesota Timberwolves, and now we'll have a scenario where tomorrow night, we'll have the final two participants in each East and West Conference, where Atlanta, with their big win yesterday, and we'll talk about that in a minute, they will go to Cleveland to play the Cavaliers who lost to Brooklyn there two nights ago, and out West, the Clippers have their tails between their legs. A 10-point lead in the fourth quarter gets vanished as the T-Wolves took over in the fourth quarter. And the Clippers will host the New Orleans Pelicans who did away with the San Antonio Spurs last night. And we will get into all the various playoff storylines. I know early in the week, I got into mostly the injuries leading up into this coming week. And obviously the forecast the weekend. But as we recap. Two nights ago, we had the Brooklyn Nets, in no surprise, they came out of the gate fast and furious, a 20-point first quarter lead where they're up 40-20, to 20. and from there on out, I'm not going to say that they hung on for dear life. To me, it was a situation where the Cavaliers, they were unable to capitalize on getting that big basket, on making that big three, on getting closer to cutting into that lead by the Brooklyn Nets as we got later and deeper into the game. And the Cavaliers, as we all know, missing their big center, Jared Allen, with that broken finger. It's going to be interesting to see whether or not he's going to play tomorrow night because you would think this is to go into the tournament and for them to lose back-to-back games after having a very good year. Yes, they lost their big guard and one, Colin Sexton. And then with Allen anchoring the middle over the past five weeks, not having him in the lineup, you would think that whether they got to tape it, whether they got to put a cast on it. We know Allen is not a big offensive player. He is there just for his presence to be that rim protector. And you would think the Cavs are going to do any and everything possible to try to get to that 8th seed, to try to get into the tournament. And even though they may not be long for the playoffs, but at least it's a step for a Cav team that has been floundering ever since LeBron left going back to the 2018 season. Now, going back to the game on Tuesday night, We had a tremendous performance there by Kyrie, who made his first 12 shots, ended up being 12 for 15, 34 points. And with KD also contributing 25 points, the Nets were pretty much in cruise control based on that opening quarter and having that big cushion, which even though the score was closer than it indicated, but the Cavs, as I said earlier, missed out on a lot of opportunities for them to not only get closer in the game, but maybe even tie and take the lead or make it a little bit more interesting. But that wasn't the case. So now the Cavs have to regroup tomorrow night in Cleveland with will host the Atlanta Hawks and I'll get to the Hawks in a second. As far as Brooklyn, now this is a team as we all know, it's championship or bust. We've said this, seems like week after week when we've gone through the association and between them and the Lakers, there were always one of the top two storylines when we tackled Both teams. So now, if you're a Brooklyn Net fan, you have to think and wonder where this team's going to go starting Sunday at 1 p.m. I'll get into the Boston-Brooklyn matchup. Everybody knows I'm a huge Celtic fan, so you know I got a lot to say about this series. But with the Nets now setting their sights to Sunday, and even in the postgame the other night where Bruce Brown, their guard, who had a few choice things to say, not necessarily... Bulletin board material, but pretty much what he said was, in order for us to slow down Jason Tatum, we're going to have to do whatever it takes, and at the same time, attack the other side of the floor, where they're not going to have Robert Williams, so we have to put the pressure on Al Horford and Daniel Tice to get our big baskets on that end. And is he right? Absolutely, but for Kevin Durant to come out and say, hey, Let's just hoop. We don't want to get into any type of exchange or have that bulletin board material to get the Celtics riled up. We know the home court advantage that the Celtics have up there, especially when the playoffs begin. So that's eh, a minor storyline you want to look at. I'm sure he's going to get a lot of boos. We all know a lot of the ire is going to go towards Kyrie Irving. Yes, they did play last year against the Celtics where it was flip-flopped, where the Nets had the two seed and the Celtics have the seven seed where this time around, it's in reverse. So, I'll touch on that series a little bit later on, but that's the Nets as they look ahead to Sunday and try to see if they could get themselves on track for the reason that Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant came to Brooklyn three summers ago, is to win a title. Not make it to the playoffs, not win a round, not get to the Eastern Conference Finals, which they haven't done to this point, but it's to get to an NBA final and win the whole thing. So we'll talk about that in a few minutes. In the nightcap on Tuesday, had the Clippers in Minnesota to play the T-Wolves, and the T-Wolves had to overcome Carl Anthony Towns being in foul trouble the whole night to the point where he actually fouled out of the game, shot 3 for 11, only had 11 points, which if you're a Wolves fan, you only hope that he got out of his system now because they cannot have that type of effort from their top player moving forward, as they were able to overcome that, when you look at what D'Angelo Russell had done, as well as Anthony Edwards, now mind you, the Clippers had a 10 point lead in the fourth quarter, before Edwards and Russell turned their games up to the point where they were able to push ahead, take the lead, and then obviously the icing on the cake, when they were able to put the game away, and then the celebration begun you would think that the T-Wolves had won the NBA championship, and I'll get to that in a second. But the T-Wolves were able to escape with a victory. Now, mind you, if they did lose that game, they still would have had another opportunity to get the 8th seed, and they would have also hosted that game. But they didn't fool around, especially when it got to crunch time. And for them to come back, a young team that has not been in the playoffs and I believe, what, four years 2018 when the Rockets I believe played them in the first round and the Rockets I believe beat them in five if I'm not mistaken but for the T-Wolves who are looking to try to make some hay make themselves a name here in this postseason and they were able to do so by winning a barn burner at the Target Center there late Tuesday night. Now, contributing also there is Patrick Beverly. We know what type of player he is. He's all about intensity. He's all about being that guy that's going to get under the other team's skin. And you saw him do that throughout the course of the game. In particular, that one moment where we thought Marcus Morris, who looked like he was teed up twice where he would have been ejected. That wasn't the case. They looked at it and it was all on Beverly with the a lot of the gestures with his hand and trying to push off Morris. And really what he was doing was trying to bait him into getting that second technical and if you remember Beverly was a member of the Clippers for four years he knows that team he knows those players so even though I'm sure they're friends off the court as you saw him there in the post game he hugging a lot of his former teammates getting emotional and all that but that's what they're going to need when we get into this next round against a young Memphis team and we'll touch on that in a minute but as far as the celebration is concerned I couldn't believe what I was watching I get it that Beverly was up against his old team, tears heading off the court, but him jumping on the scorer's table, and understood, this team has not had any success since the 2004 year, Kevin Garnett, when he got the MVP, when they made it to a conference final against the Lakers. So, if they want to celebrate, jump up and down, have a party, alright, great, but you just want a playing game, you didn't win a series, you didn't go to a conference final and... Damn it if I say that you even went to an NBA final because that display there on Tuesday night was just, I had to rub my eyes to say, what is happening here? I get it. You want to celebrate a few high fives and hugs? Fantastic. But the over-exuberance, when we get a chance to look at the next series, you got to wonder whether or not this team is just happy to be there. And the T-Wolves have had a good season and they have good players on their team. But that display, to me, that was way over the top. You want to celebrate? All right, fine. But that was overdone to the 10th degree. So, that was your second game there on Tuesday night. And then last night, the Hawks, what could you say? The Charlotte Hornets, they're not ready for prime time. Yes, they do have a young nucleus, but they still need to mature. As you saw there toward the end with Miles Bridges getting tossed out of the game for a goaltending call. And then as he gets to walk to the locker room, one of the fans was clapping there and didn't seem like he was... Heckling too bad, obviously you can't read his lips, but that triggered Bridges for him to swipe his arm, and I believe from what was reported, his mouthpiece hit a fan, but he tried to make amends real quick by reaching out to that fan through Twitter to say, hey, can I get in contact with her? So good for him to get a level head, for him knowing that he got carried away and it was something that he should have been able to control and he didn't, so kudos to Bridges on that. But the Hawks, we know what they did last spring, making it to an Eastern Conference Final, and they had a topsy-turvy year. They had stretches where they played well, but then they had stretches where they didn't even belong. And here it is last night, even after a very slow start from Trey Young, where he shot one of nine, I believe three for 13 in the first half. He did finish with 24, but it was that third quarter explosion by the Hawks that pretty much salted the game away. And DeAndre Hunter chipping in 16, the... Hornets did not have an answer for the Hawks coming out of the gate there to start the second half. And pretty much, it not only was an uphill battle for the Hornets, but it was a lost cause. Lamelo Ball had 26 points, but he did have 25 shot attempts, so not good overall. We talked about Bridges and his ejection. And now the Hawks, let's see what they do here as they'll go up against the Cavs. And I'll get to those couple of games in a minute where you had New Orleans beating the San Antonio Spurs where CJ McCollum went off in the first half. 27 of his 32 points came in that first half. And then pretty much similar to the net Cavalier game on Tuesday night where the Pelicans had a sizable lead and then the Spurs came roaring back. In fact, the Pelicans had a 21 point lead there early in the fourth and then the Spurs came roaring back to where they cut it to six. But then there were three straight baskets, two by Brandon Ingram who had 27 in the game. And then Jonas Valanciunas, who stretched the lead to make it to 11 at that point, or excuse me, it was 12, I believe it was 103.92, or it was 11 points, excuse me. And that was pretty much the game from there as the Spurs bow out in New Orleans versus the Pelicans. As far as the Spurs, real quick, they have a young team. Who knows the future of Greg Popovich? I don't know what his contract status is, you would think. That he could be teetering on possibly retiring. I don't have any sources. This is just for my gut. But I would think that maybe he would probably stick it out for another year. If he does have a couple of years left on his contract, maybe he goes till he's 75. I believe he's 73 years old. But I would think with this team young and maybe with a couple of more drafts under his belt and maybe some progress in the next couple of years in the Western Conference, maybe he'll hand it off to the next person knowing that I'm leaving this organization in good stead for the next guy to come in. And tell me that wouldn't be typical Popovich for him to do so. Instead of walking out into the night, going off into the sunset, where the team is going to be either a middling team or worse, they're going to be a lottery team from here on out. I could see more of the former than the latter, but who knows what's in the chest and what's in the mind of the five time champion. So that's something we'll have to keep an eye on. But The Pelicans, they had a year where there were a lot of expectations. We know about the saga of Zion Williamson, and who knows if we're going to see him in the playoffs. I know he's been working out. I know he's been trying to get on the mend here, but I would think we won't see Zion. I'll start here, then I'll work my way to Atlanta and Cleveland before I take a look at the landscape this coming weekend as the playoffs will commence. The Pelicans... Riding high, C.J. McCollum has given them an injection, that veteran presence who could score anywhere on the floor, as we've seen in his days in Portland. Now, could that be the determining factor in this next game against the Clippers come tomorrow night? It's possible. Now, if you're a Clipper fan, the 15 of you out there, I know it was a long year. I know it was a grueling year from a standpoint of Paul George being out of the lineup, in and out most of the year, obviously not seeing Kawhi Leonard, this experiment of having both of these guys on your team to not only compete with the Lakers for bragging rights, for a bigger spotlight, but at the same time also try to get to an NBA final and where last year they were close making it to the conference finals for the very first time. And I get it, this team has been compromised. I understand that this has been probably a rough year for Tyron Lue not having a healthy lineup, having to piecemeal this together, but that's a testament to his coaching and what he's done there as far as being the head coach of the Clippers. And I know it's easy to go with the home teams here. Could I see New Orleans pulling out a victory at the Staple or Crypto.com Arena? I could see that, but I would think Paul George who had 34 points although he had a terrible first half the other night against the T-Wolves if he's going to be that big player and when you take a look at the lineups on both sides you still have to say that Paul George is the best player on the floor let's see him act like that and I would think that'll be Paul George and probably some of the role players on the Clippers the Zubats of the world I know We've seen the guys like Reggie Jackson, Marcus Morris, Nicholas Batum. We've seen those guys contribute in big spots, especially when they're in their home confines. I think that's going to be enough for them to pull out a victory and for them to move on to play the Phoenix Suns in the first round over the weekend, which will be Sunday night, I believe at 9 o'clock. And of course, I'll get to the schedule in a minute. As far as Atlanta and Cleveland... I think this is a scary game for the Cavaliers and for all the good fortune that they had throughout the course of the year, the coach JB Bickerstaff and pretty much taking this team, making it into his own with the young studs, with guys that you didn't expect for them to have the type of years, although they were very high draft choices, whether your name is Darius Garland or Evan Mobley, we talked about Jared Allen and what he means in the middle and even without Colin Sexton. But with this game being at home against a Hawk team who knows what it's like to play on the road, we've seen them win games in the postseason last year, whether it was the three games in Philadelphia, the two games at the Garden, or maybe it was the one game. No, they actually won two games, game one and five at MSG. And for this Hawk team to now get their sea legs, they can forget about the regular season. They know to have one win And then an opportunity to get into the tournament. I think the Hawks will prevail here. Unless Garland, Mobley and company just go off. And obliterate the Hawks pretty much from the start. I would think Atlanta based on that run through the Eastern Conference. And to the Eastern Conference Finals. I think that's going to help them and benefit them. In beating Cleveland tomorrow night. Now let me get to the three big storylines heading into this postseason again beginning on Saturday 1 o'clock with Utah and Dallas and I'll take it series by series but the one thing I will say is that whomever gets in as the eighth seed and obviously we're not going to know what it is until late tomorrow night but Phoenix I think will win against whomever whether it's the Clippers or the Pelicans I think they're going to win in four games it's going to be a sweep. And usually in these first rounds, you rarely get the seven game series. If you do get a seven game series, it's usually between a 4-5 seeding matchup, maybe a 3-6, but usually the one-eight-two-seven, it's a four or five game series. But with Phoenix, and I'll even say Miami, whether it is Atlanta or Cleveland, I think the Heat, if it's the Hawks, that could be an interesting series. They both play in the same division. They know each other pretty well. That could probably be a 6 game series. If it's the Cavs, I'll give the Cavs one game. But nevertheless, Phoenix and Miami will move on to the second round. But my three storylines, the first one has to be the Phoenix Suns. Considering what they've done all year, they've been by far record-wise the best team in the league even without Chris Paul, which I believe during that stretch they were 11 and 5, they didn't skip a beat. They are looking to get back to a final. We all know what happened last year. Up 2-0 to the Bucs. And then the Bucs went four straight. And everybody's going to look at that game four where Chris Paul was terrible in Milwaukee. And then game five where Devin Booker did not shoot well. And it pretty much imploded on the Suns. And they set a lot sooner than a lot of the people in the Valley thought. Considering that the Bucs were on the ropes. And Giannis and company came roaring back to win the NBA title. So now this year you would think... What excuse do they have? They play in a very soft Western Conference. Let's face it. Golden State with Steph Curry and his injury. Who knows what his availability is going to look like. It's pretty much going to be a game time decision come Saturday night against Denver. Can the Memphis Grizzlies do anything? That's not a storyline. They're a young team on the come up but can we expect them to beat the Phoenix Suns in a seven game series? You can't say. It's way too soon. I would think even for a Grizzly team. Utah, Dallas. Remember, the Clippers, they may be there as a 1 8 seed, but they're not going to be the same team that even the Suns saw last year in a conference final. And we all know the Lakers on a golf course or on a beach somewhere. So if the Suns don't make it to an NBA final, there needs to be an investigation as to why. So they're going to be the storyline, number one, going into the playoffs. Number two are the Nets. Will they be able to make a run? And the sad part is, is that it shouldn't be a thing where the Nets are making a run. This team is ready made for a championship. And we're not going to know the status of Ben Simmons. It's unlikely that he's going to play in the series, considering he has this back issue where I've talked about it over the last couple of weeks here on the podcast. What has gone on with his conditioning is beyond me. Leading up to the trade and then obviously being traded to where he has been MIA ever since. But let's see if Kyrie and KD are going to carry this team through not only just this first series, which is going to be very tough, but then the following in a conference semifinal and then a conference final, etc. Will they have enough gas in the tank to last three rounds just to get to an NBA final, let alone four rounds, is going to be fascinating to see. And we all know they don't play defense, which that's going to be another issue. So let's see if BK is going to be all in once the ball gets tipped up this Sunday against the Celtics and then I have to say James Harden in his last stand in Philly and the reason why I say last stand is because he's a free agent after this year Harden has not played well he's had his moments but he's not played well since he's been a member of the Sixers and Harden is going to have to play MVP caliber basketball and as we've seen over the years and I'm tired of even getting into it but we all know that he is not a money player He's not to be trusted when the bright lights are on in big spots, in game sixes, in game sevens, in closeout games. Harden is invisible. And he is going to take a lot of blame if he doesn't produce in this postseason. And I understand people are going to say, well, what about Embiid? Yes, Embiid, he's also tied in with Harden without question. But he was brought in to be a guy to compliment Embiid as the guy who's going to be a facilitator, but at the same time, get his three-point shot off to the point where if Embiid goes off at 35, then maybe Harden will be somewhere between 28 and 32 to go along with 13 assists and about 10-11 boards. So, if Harden has a very subpar or let's say an average postseason it's quite possible you may not see him in a six-year uniform and even though Daryl Morey's the GM and that's his boy and they go way back to the days in Houston but this is going to be a telltale sign on whether or not James Harden is truly ready because this is not Houston Texas this isn't even Brooklyn from that regard because yes Brooklyn it is New York media capital etc but the Philly fan base is 20 times more rapid than the Brooklyn Net fan base so, he is about to go into a hornet's nest right now, whether he thinks so or not. So, that's, to me, are your top three storylines. As far as the rest of the series go, I'll start in the East. Let's just cut to the chase. Milwaukee was 4-0 against the Bulls this year. And why would that change now? Do the Bulls eke out one game? Maybe. But I'm going to say the Bucks in four. Because the Bulls. They got off to that tremendous start. I believe they were 26 and 10. And I had them as an over at 41 and a half. And they did clear it. But boy. It was some tough sledding there in the second half. And I get it. No Lonzo Ball. Zach Levine was out. Although he came back in later on the year. And the Bulls were not the same team that they were. In the first half of the year. So I'm going to pick the Bucs to just steamroll the Bulls. In a sweep. Toronto and Philly. This could be an intriguing series. Of course, a lot is going to be looked upon what happened three years ago with the Kawhi shot in the game seven. But again, different cast of characters. Obviously, no Kawhi, no Kyle Lowry. This time around, it's the Fred Van Vliet and the Pascal Siakams. Yes, they were both on the team at that time. But this is a totally different Toronto team. A team that is coached by Nick Nurse, who is already thrown into the rumor mill as far as going to the Lakers to coach that team next year and beyond. But at the moment, Nurse is the head coach of the Raptors. And again, the Sixers need to come out of this round. I could see this being a hard-fought series. Toronto is not sexy as far as their personnel and their style of play, but they do get the job done. But to me, I think it's going to be too much Embiid and even too much Harden for them to withstand and move on to the next round. So I'm going to say the Sixers and six. And then I'll cut right to it. I don't like this matchup for this reason. Brooklyn versus Boston. I understand the Nets are maybe not coming in on fumes. But we know that there's going to be a lot of minutes logged for Kevin Durant and for Kyrie Irving from here on out. But those two guys, even with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, understood But those two guys could win a series against anybody. And even though the Celtics played them last year, and they didn't have Kemba Walker, and they were outmanned, especially when they had James Harden, the Brooklyn Nets at that time. But you would think lessons were learned. You would think that the Celtics would take what happened last year and implement that this year, knowing that it's a different team, that even though the Nets still have those two guys that could kill you, but the one thing I don't like about it is that who's going to be the guy that's going to slow down or even stop Kevin Durant? Kyrie Irving, you think it's, Marcus Smart is going to be in his back pocket the entire series. But you know Kyrie's going to go off too. To me, who's going to slow down Kevin Durant? We know Durant's probably going to be on Jason Tatum. That is going to be a matchup unlike any other here in this first round. It is going to be hard fought. It's going to be tooth and nail. I think if the Celtics have any shot to win the series, they got to win game one. And it'd be, of course, nice if they're up 2-0. If they're up 2-0, you would think they'd win the series. But I'm going to go with defense. And I'm going to go with, as the series wears on, the Nets will get tired. And what that means, they'll get tired on the defensive end. And the Celtics will do just enough there in crunch time in order for them to win. So I'm gonna pick the Celtics in six. I don't love that pick. I would say seven. But if the Celtics go seven, they may not be long for this postseason. But I would think that the Celtics will split these first four games in some way, shape, or form. They'll win a game five in Boston and then by sheer will they'll win a game six and then move on to the next round. And I'm sure they don't want to play with a seven game series because that's just another log to the fire mentally, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically and then remember if they were to win that series whether in six hard fought games or in seven emotional games the Bucks are going to be waiting on the other side of that. More likely full rested coming off of at least five games if not a sweep against the Bulls out west Memphis and Minnesota this is a series where you have two teams that are young two teams that do not have a lot of experience granted that Minnesota was there a few years ago as I mentioned against the Rockets but the T-Wolves are going to need a lot from Carl Anthony Towns as I said earlier Maybe he got the terrible performance out of his system. And you're going up against an upstart Memphis team. As we know who the cast of characters are there. John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., Desmond Bain. Go on down the list. This team is stocked. This team has played well. This team has overachieved. This team has played well even without John Morant in the lineup. So they're going to come at you. And I think the athleticism... And the enthusiasm of this upstart team is going to be just enough for them to beat the T-Wolves. Now, the T-Wolves have athletes on their own right too. Anthony Edwards, we know, is a bona fide scorer. Obviously, Towns. DeAngelo Russell's a guy who's matured over the last few years, going back to his days with the Lakers when he was still trying to figure things out as a number two pick overall. But him bouncing around, whether it was in Brooklyn, Golden State, now here with the T-Wolves this could be a sneaky, actually I'm not going to go as far as saying classic, but a sneaky good series that could go seven games. But I think the Grizzlies, for whatever the reason, I think they'll just jump out to a 2-0 lead. Yes, maybe you'll get the T-Wolves winning a game three and then the Grizzlies will find a way in game four and then close out the T-Wolves in a fifth game at home. Now I would hope to see a long series. You rarely see those long series as I mentioned earlier, but I think the Grizzlies will prevail in five. As far as the Nuggets and Golden State Warriors, again, this is all contingent on the ankle of Stephen Curry. If Curry's not going to be anywhere near 100%, or he's going to play at 50, 60, 70% and not be his usual self, running all over the court, handling the ball, Clay Thompson, he's a big question mark if you ask me. Very inconsistent. To me, he's not all the way back from that injury not even from a physical standpoint, but mental and even psychological. Because when you don't have that lift, when you don't have that explosion, when you don't have the 100% confidence, maybe in your lateral movement when it comes to playing defense, and we all know that before the injuries, Clay Thompson was one of the top defenders in the league. So his game is not just predicated on playing at the wing and trying to swish three pointers. It's all the other things that I mentioned. And when you're not all the way back from that, from a psychological standpoint, and yes, you may be able to go full bore 100% physically, and maybe the mental aspect, all right, I'm able to run up and down, I'm able to move a certain way, all right, laterally, I can't. But when you're in the heat of a game, and you know you can't cut a certain way, or you're afraid to, that's going to screw you up. So even with the guys like Jordan Poole, who could certainly pick up the pieces, or even Andrew Wiggins, who has certainly tailed off here in the second half of the season, you do have to wonder whether or not the Warriors, who had a tremendous start to this season, now look like they could be one and done, which isn't good for the sport because you don't have the Lakers there. You may not have the Clippers, and I understand the Clippers do not have Kawhi. But if you don't have Steph Curry past the first round, the West is just going to be a barren wasteland. And how I look at it, I think the Nuggets, based on last year getting swept in that second round against Phoenix, with the reigning MVP and possibly a back-to-back MVP in a one, Nikola Jokic. But I would think the Nuggets, for everything that's happened, and we don't know the status of Jamal Murray, whether or not he's going to play in the series, I think he's not. But something tells me the Nuggets are going to be able to prevail here and win this in six games. It could go seven, I wouldn't be surprised. But I think Jokic has a desire to prove to everybody that last year wasn't a fluke, even though they did get swept by the at the time, a team that was on their way to go into the NBA Finals. So, I think the Nuggets will prevail here in six. And then Utah-Dallas, another injury where you have Luka Doncic with the strained calf. You know he's going to play, but at what percent is he going to be? And again, goes back to Klay Thompson psychologically, how he's going to be able to cut on that, how effective he'll be. Utah, we know that they're a very good team and they have their moments where they could be a team that looks like they could contend. I'm going to say Mavs in seven. Only because they have the home court. And not that that means a lot. Because look at last year when they played the Clippers in that first round. All the road teams won. Until game seven. When the Clippers were able to win that seventh game. In order for them to move on to the next round. So the Mavs. Even though they do have the home court. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be home cooking and them advancing to the next round if they have a Game 7 in their building. But I think too much Doncic. Who knows with Donovan Mitchell? I know he's been hot and cold this year as far as his production goes. And he could have that hot postseason. We've seen it in the bubble. We saw it a little bit there last year. But now, you would think Dallas is just going to do enough to prevail. But I would not be surprised if Utah wins either. Because Utah... They're capable of winning this series as well, based on not only just Mitchell, also Rudy Gobert, being that guy in the middle. It should be a more competitive first round, unlike years past, but we all know that the NBA, the teams, the better teams are going to rise to the top. I would love to see a few, and when I say a few, I'm talking about three, six or seven game series. And you could possibly see that in the Brooklyn-Boston series. You could probably see that in the Toronto-Philly series. You could probably see that. Denver-Golden State-Utah-Dallas. If you get four out of the eight going at least six games, that's a success for the NBA. Because usually you have these series over and done in four or five games and then it's on to the next round. So that's your NBA people. You know I'll keep an eye on that. And as far as the schedule goes, real quick, Saturday afternoon it All-Starts, Utah at Dallas, 1 o'clock, followed by Minnesota and Memphis at 3.30, Toronto at Philadelphia at 6, and then Denver at Golden State is your ABC game at 8.30. All three games on Saturday will be on ESPN, and then on Sunday, whomever comes out of the Atlanta-Cleveland matchup tomorrow night will be in Miami, 1 o'clock on Sunday, Brooklyn at Boston is your 3.30 game on ABC. Chicago at Milwaukee at 6.30 and then your New Orleans LA Clipper winner at Phoenix at nine o'clock and three of the four games will be on TNT and then obviously you'll get into the week you'll also have the game stretched out to where you'll at least have a fourth game on Saturday and Sunday for all eight series. And I enjoyed this opening round a lot, even though the matchups may not be as great or as sexy or these teams could pretty much be going for sweeps come nine, ten days from now, but at least you'll have wall-to-wall basketball both Saturday and Sunday to kick us off here on this round one of your NBA playoff. All right, so I'm sure that satiated the hoops head and rightfully so because whenever we talk about a postseason, that's going to be front and center. So, I know spending 40 minutes on the NBA, maybe for some, was like, oh, it's a little bit too much, Jay Reels, but, I mean, what do you want me to do? You know, just talk about these series in a sentence and then move on? I mean, come on. So, I had to give it a little bit of love and really show and massage these storylines and get into these series before we're able to move on to other things. And we'll do that right now. So, one week is in the books of the Major League Baseball season. Uh, a couple of things that stick out. One yesterday, and I posted this on my TikTok feed I know it's early April and granted that he was pitching in 38 degree weather with no sleeves. So I'll give it up to Clayton Kershaw and his performance where a lot of people thought, including yours truly, he is probably on hole 15, back nine of his pitching and Major League Baseball career. But yesterday in 80 pitches to strike out 13 and be perfect in seven frames To where he removed himself from the game. Going for perfection. In an attempt to be one of. But a few handful. Of pitchers in the history of the sport. To throw a perfect game. And to me would have been the cherry on top of his career. But he decided. And in the post game this is what he said. That the reason why he took himself out of the game. Was quote unquote. Those are selfish goals. We're trying to win. I would have loved to have stayed but we have bigger things man and that was it I get it was a three nothing lead he wanted to hand it to his bullpen but the guy was unhittable they weren't even touching him and you know what maybe he was tapped out at 80 pitches or maybe he's looking at the end game as the marathon of the season and not a sprint and he knows his body more than anybody and if he wants to do that fine Thankfully, it wasn't Dave Roberts who said that, yes, I had to pull him, or yes, I wanted to pull him, or that was his pitch limit, and even though there was a limit going in, but you would think, as a competitor, knowing that you have history six outs away, to tell your manager, I know my pitch limit was 80, let me start off the eighth inning, if I give up a walk, if I give up a hit, then pull me. Fine. Maybe he goes through a clean inning because the twin hitters had no... And I absolutely mean no answer to solve Clayton Kershaw. So maybe they're already flailing and ready to check out and go to the next city. I don't even know if they're playing at home this weekend. But for Kershaw to pass up on that, I 100% totally disagree with it. Go out there for one batter. Go out there for maybe even six pitches. Or 10 tops. I get it, 80 was his limit, but is another 10 going to hurt you at that point when you just been mowing him down all day long and right people can say with well, Jay Reels who are you to say what Clayton Kershaw should do or as a fan you want to see perfection well that's why we watch sports to see events like that happen whether it's the perfect game whether it's the 50 point game in basketball it doesn't have the same it's not in the same class but you want to see these type of performances look at last night Vladimir Guerrero he hit three home runs in a game And he got stepped on in the second inning by Aaron Hicks. He said, well, let me put a bandage on it. Let me get back out there. His next at bat, he had a shot into the back of the bullpen at Yankee Stadium. This is why we watch sports. And Kershaw robbed us of that. Again, nobody said he had to go out there and complete the whole nine inning game if he gave up a hit or a walk. To me, the first guy he faced, if he hit a bloop or if he hit a dribble up the line or if he hit a shot in the gap, didn't matter. Then you could pull him. But the stupid analytics, and I don't want to hear, he didn't mention the weather, and he didn't talk about the elements, so he just decided it was better for him to pull himself. And you know what? I understand that. I do. And people can say, okay, J Reels, which one is it? Whether you do understand, or do you want him going after history? First and foremost, just give me another batter. Is that too much to ask? If his threshold was at 80, why not go out there for one more batter? I can see if his threshold was at 80 and he came out of the game and was at 83, 85, maybe 86 just to finish the inning to have seven strong, solid, perfect innings. Okay, fine. But he was right at the mark. What's another batter going to do? So, I I was just perturbed by that. And I still am here it is 24 hours later. But Kershaw took a page of his old Cy Young self and had... Just a stupendous performance as they beat the Twins yesterday, 7-0, as they tacked on more runs in the final two innings to get the win and leave to go back to the West Coast. I mentioned Vladimir Guerrero last night, three home runs, and Guerrero, what could you say about this guy? His bat is lightning quick. That second home run that he hit, if you watch the highlight, that ball was in on his wrists. And he somehow, someway turned on it to the point where the ball went 427 feet to the back of the bullpen in Yankee Stadium. If you, and it's on YouTube, so watch it. It is unbelievable how quick his bat goes right through the zone. Because when you look at that pitch, there is no way on earth that any human being should hit a pitch that's in on his hands out of the ballpark. And then the last home run was just a laser into the second deck. And the Blue Jays, they'll finish their four-game series against the Yankees tonight. And Garrett Cole has not gotten off to the best of starts here in 2022. Last week against the Red Sox, he gave up three runs before he recorded an out. And then yesterday, and granted, he is Vladimir Guerrero, but him giving up the two home runs and then he gave up a double down the right field line later on to where Cole even tipped his cap towards Guerrero. And even in the postgame, he said, well, hey, with some of the pitches that he hit how could you not tip your cap and that's good on Cole and whether he meant that or not but you take it for what it's worth but if you're a Yankee fan you really have to be scratching your head wondering if you're going to see and I'm sure you're going to see moments of Cole be dominant the way he was in his days at Houston but you got to wonder against good hitting teams yeah he could beat up on all the bad teams he could shut out the Royals for seven innings he could shut out the Texas Rangers or no hit them or one hit them, whatever. And I get it. You had that performance in Houston last year where he had, what, 12 strikeouts, 129 pitches and a one hitter against the Astros, his former team at that. But I'm sure you cannot be happy. And it's only two games in. I get it. But Cole, ever since the spin rates have gone down with the sticky stuff going back to late last spring, you cannot be happy with what you see here with your number one starter. And as far as Guerrero goes, and I got the numbers right here in front of me, I said this last year, so you could even check the receipts. How Guerrero was not the MVP of the American League is beyond me. And I get it, Shohei Ohtani took over the whole sport with the pitching. And not that he was a great pitcher. He did have his flashes, but it's not as if this guy was 10 and three with a two ERA and a whip on the one. But he had all the home runs he was in the home run derby, he had all the pomp and circumstance, and finally flourishing into the superstar that we thought he would be, but when we take a look at the numbers, uh, it's not even close. You want to go by war? Okay, his war was more than two points ahead of Vladimir Guerrero, but Guerrero led the league in runs, home runs, on base, slugging, and OPS. Five categories and he did bat 311 to where Otani batted 257 Otani was 46-100 103 runs 138 hits and granted he was a DH and there were moments where he went through stretches where he didn't play whereas Guerrero had 188 hits batted 311 and arguably could have been your MVP and right now he just came off a three-homer game where Otani, I don't even know what he's done so far this year. So that's my pom-poms for the Blue Jay first baseman. And quickly, I got to give it up to my Mets because the Mets, just five games into the season, were already being the Mets. And I talked about it on Monday. Winning three out of four in Washington was good. Although this Sunday afternoon game up 2-1 in the eighth inning where they gave up three runs, all right, fine. They were due to lose and they did so in that finale in the nation's capital. But what you saw there on Monday night, where they had a 4-0 lead going to the bottom of the eighth, and then they gave up five runs and losing 5-4, and you thought to yourself, oh, geez, I can't start with the headaches and the agita, not even a week into the season. But they bounced back nicely with two wins. They had an 8-1 lead yesterday. Got a little hairy there late, but they pulled off a 9-6 win. And the Mets are 5-2. Scherzer's 2-0. They have their home opener tomorrow against Arizona. So all right now is well in Metville as their first two road series placed them five wins to two losses so obviously we'll continue to take a look at that and other than that in baseball everything is pretty much kind of quiet I know the Guardians are 4-2 and two if you want to look at them as a little bit of a surprise here in this opening week and other than that everything is just pretty much the same Brewers are 3-3 three and three, maybe a little bit of a surprise there Colorado 4-1 and one if you want to Look at the Rockies, and they've won four in a row. So just one weekend. Obviously, we had a lot of time to talk about baseball as we're just getting started there. NHL, two weeks from tomorrow is the end of the season. And you had a couple of big games this week. Carolina beating the Rangers there on Tuesday night. And the Rangers bounced back yesterday with a 4 nothing win in Philadelphia. So now the Rangers are just two points out of first place. Although the Hurricanes do have a game in hand. But right now with the NHL, and I talked about this 10 days ago, the Avalanche and Panthers, they're on a torrid clip and may be on a collision course for a cup final. Now, we understand the NHL is a different beast come the postseason. It's not the NFL if you have the dominant one seed team. And although we've seen them get picked off over the years, a la Green Bay Packers. But where you have a team that has just been rolling, And as long as you have the hot goalie and sticking to your game plan and what you're good at with your strengths and imposing your will on the opposition's weaknesses, both the Avalanche and the Panthers, respectively, 112 and 110 points tops in the league. Now, if you're the Panthers, you may not want to win the President's Trophy only because more often than not, the team that does win the President's Trophy does not go on to win a Stanley Cup. So, that is something you want to keep in mind here as we go along to the final eight or nine games of the season. But those are two teams that are just playing at an immense clip and no team has been able to slow them down here over the last two weeks. Even the Blues have played well in that Central Division. But when we look at the wild card mix, and that's what we have to pretty much focus on here. In the East, The song is going to remain the same. Both Boston and Washington are going to make it. You can forget about the Islanders unless the Capitals just go in hiding over the next two weeks. But you could see some position being jockeyed, whether it's the Bruins, just one point behind the Lightning there in the top three in Atlantic. They're currently fourth in that division, so they could actually move out of the wild card spot and move up. With just a win and a Tampa loss. But we'll see how that unfolds here. Over the next 14 days. And with the Capitals. They are three points behind the Penguins. In the division. Could they possibly leapfrog them. And get into a three seed. In the Metropolitan. To where they don't have to worry about a wild card spot. That we'll have to take a look at. As we get closer to the end of the season. And then out west. Where it's very intense. When it comes to this wild card. Because as it's constituted. Nashville is currently at 89 points followed by the Dallas Stars at 88 and if you look at the standings you see that the LA Kings are third in the Pacific with 88 points so, and if you're wondering hey why are the Kings there at 88 where the Predators not only have more wins but they also have one more point and same for the Stars where they have the same amount of points more wins but remember the first three teams in each division will automatically qualify for the playoffs so that could change depending on what the Golden Knights do, because the Golden Knights, or they have two games in hand to the Kings, and right now have 85 points, so we could see a change in position there in the Pacific with the Golden Knights, if they're able to surpass the Kings, where the Kings will fall out of the postseason, so the Kings are going to have to hold on for dear life, and Drew Doughty, their longtime defenseman, is going to be out for the rest of the year, so that's a big blow to their back line for the Kings faithful and wondering what's going to happen here over the last six games. Obviously, we have to keep an eye out for, but the wild card race is going to pretty much be surrounding Nashville, Dallas, and Vegas and which one of those teams get the two spots in the West and the Kings could actually drop out altogether depending on what the Golden Knights do here over the last two weeks. So, not a lot of drama, not a lot of intrigue. You do have a couple of things that you have to pay attention to. But other than that, it's not as if on a night and night out basis, you're going to be glued to see which teams are going to make it into the playoffs and who's going to fall out. So that's what you have with the NHL. And then lastly, with the football, Derek Carr signed this extension three years at $121 million. The one thing I didn't understand is he has a no trade clause as if he wants to dictate where he wants to go if the Raiders are looking to deal him now first off let me see him win a playoff game forget about even winning a Super Bowl before he could even make those demands but we all know quarterbacks are hot commodities and Mark Davis he's a guy that you would think he's going to stay loyal to his quarterback considering he's been there for about a decade I would think off the top of my head and now with Devontae Adams And also bringing in Chandler Jones. They re-signed Max Crosby. There's not going to be much more in the coffers. You would think from here on out. But they have their quarterback in tow. The Raiders are going to have to compete in that division. As we all know. It is going to be hotly contested from the start. With Kansas City. Russell Wilson now there in Denver. Obviously Justin Herbert in the Chargers. So. They have their quarterback there now. Although Carr is a good quarterback. But he's not a great quarterback. But we understand who else are you going to plug in there that's going to be a guy that's going to take the Raiders to the next level or even dare I say the promised land there aren't any or many other guys out there that you're going to pretty much entrust and bring in there so that's why Carr gets locked up with the no trade thing that had me puzzled as far as other quarterbacks out there and one that's going to be on the move is Baker Mayfield and everybody knows I'm not the biggest Baker Mayfield fan And in a podcast earlier this week, he felt as if he was being disrespected to where management had come to him and said one thing. And then obviously they turn around to another trading for Deshaun Watson and giving him a $230 million guaranteed contract. If you're Baker Mayfield, just shut up and move on because I'm sure the Brown Brass, they may come out and say something that it's going to refute whatever it is that Mayfield said and Mayfield should just stay quiet. Just let time and let the whole process take its course. I don't know if he wants to go, let's say, to a team like the Panthers or maybe even some of the rumblings that are coming out of Tampa, maybe him going to the Buccaneers to back up Tom Brady for possibly a year. And with Brady, you never know, he's probably going to play until he's 70, but he could be the heir apparent to a one-time Brady if they do so happen to get back to a Super Bowl and win does he want to do that I'm sure his ego is probably going to tell him no I want to start but maybe for him and for his career it would be a nice landing spot warm weather he'll still have a good team around him granted that the team is older and who knows what the cap situation is going to be because they're also going to have to pay Mayfield but maybe they won't pay him in upwards of 35 40 million if he's going to be a backup who knows But that's something that we're going to have to keep our eyes on as the NFL draft is just two weeks away from today. And you would think that Mayfield would probably be traded either the week of the draft, right before the draft, or sometime during the draft. That's just my guess. And one other thing I failed to mention with the NHL, your winter classic is going to be Philadelphia at Boston Fenway Park January 1 in 2023. So I just thought to throw that in there as well. But with Baker, we'll see what happens. But he should just shut up and not say anything. And hopefully no commercials or Madison Avenue won't be buzzing his tower to do another Hulu or progressive commercial. Because Lord knows I've seen more than enough of those commercials over the last few years for a guy who, yes, former number one pick, I understand. But other than one playoff win under his belt over the four-year career of a one Baker Mayfield, I've seen enough. So that'll do it, my good people. Another episode in the books. Super grateful and thankful that you stopped by to listen to what it is they have to say about what is happening in the world of sports. And if you haven't done so, like I said at the top, please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, throw me a few stars, write a review on wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. I'm on all major platforms. Of course, the website at jreels.com. Let's increase the visibility of this podcast. As you all know, I'm a one-man operation. So not only am I the host, but I'm also the editor, the writer, the marketing aspect of it, advertising, I do it all people. So with your help, I would sincerely appreciate it. If you want to hit me up on any of my social media accounts, you could do so on TikTok, the J Reels podcast, which I'm putting up content there daily. So you definitely want to pop in over there. Give me a follow. Instagram, J Reels or the J Reels podcast. Twitter, J Reels one, just a number. On Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page, and then the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Send any questions, comments, criticism, praise, whatever it is, I'll be sure to follow up. And then lastly, to support this endeavor, you could do so by going to www.patreon.com. That's P is in Paul, A-T as in Tom, R-E-O-N is in Nancy, slash the J Reels Podcast. Whatever you want to put forth, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate That every single nickel, dime, dollar, whatever it is, check, money order, Venmo will go 100% to this endeavor, to the production of this podcast, to the website, to the equipment, anything and everything that entails what it is that I say into this mic, through your ears, into your earbuds, or your speakers, because whether you do or do not know, this is why I love to talk about people, it's in the blood, it's in the DNA, I am passionate with my opinions my thoughts, analysis, hot takes, whatever you want to call it on anything and everything that happens in the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the j podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect from the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond peace, love, and God bless everybody enjoy the holiday weekend happy Easter to each and every one of you and until next time on the J Reels Podcast on the flip baby.